0: Hello, I'm Scott Deaver, Chief Technical Officer of Certitude Digital, the maker of Amulet, Gnomes, and Hackless Harbor Cybersecurity Software and Services. Today I am your host for our educational podcast entitled Certitude Digital, Cybersecurity, and Digital Identity Education Series, General Questions 2, accompanying video number 3, originally produced August 29th of 2020. This is the third video in our Cybersecurity and Identity Education series, featuring the answers to questions 7 through 9. The video and transcript companions to this podcast can be found on our website at www.cert2digital.com in the videos page under the FAQ slash patents slash use cases slash videos menu of the main menu bar. I hope you find the following informative and helpful. And now on to our first question for this segment. I'm concerned about how these technologies cooperate with the world as it is. Are your customers going to have to throw out what they have and start over-learning new things? All of our solutions are atypical in that they are fully engineered from the ground up. This is in polar opposition to the knee-jerk innovations that predominate the industry today and which are born of the incredibly limited vision that stakeholders and other companies have that demand instant gratification or results by the next 90-day quarterly reporting period. Having the long view allows us to see and consider everything. And by far one of the most important considerations in engineering total solutions is a high regard for the way the world actually is. The last thing the world wants or needs is a change for the sake of change or to make a quick buck. It certainly doesn't need some millennial's cute idea of a solution that no one asked for and which now needs a problem manufactured for it to justify its existence. Don't laugh. Those two sentences describe 99% of the cybersecurity innovations being offered today. Our solutions not only consider all of the digital assets that need to be protected in the world, we actually even consider all the failed cybersecurity technologies already in existence, and we cooperate seamlessly with all of them. We do the latter because we understand that in order to build trust with our customers, they need to be able to deploy our products while still holding on to the current ways of doing things until they know they can absolutely rely on our technologies. Obviously, at some point, they will want to cut over fully to our products and services, in order to realize all the savings we can bring them. But until they are comfortable doing that, we can fully do what we do while remaining fully compatible and compliant with everyone and everything. To give you an idea just how clever we have been in accomplishing that, consider that in our Sorcery GitHub securitizing product, our unbreakably enciphered source code files look to GitHub exactly like plain text source code files. The text-based algorithms within GitHub that are used to detect file differences for comparison and versioning purposes therefore work exactly as they always did. The algorithms are none the wiser, and the versions and comparisons are just as effective as ever. Oh, and just so you know, we offer mass migration tools and services to make cutover painless, fast, and seamless for IT shops when that time comes. I'm curious how your background prepared you to see these answers no one else could. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your personal history? I have truly been blessed with a remarkable career. I came into the industry as a longtime hacker, a self-taught assembler programmer 35 years ago. Both unique perspectives, having been self-taught and having been an accomplished hacker, were invaluable in helping me see things other people just couldn't seem to see. I immediately developed a reputation as a programmer with lightning-fast reflexes at finding bugs in code and logic, because those are skills that hacking homes sharply. Obviously, if you can quickly find bugs, then of course you can, by extension, quickly fix them. All of a sudden, my lack of education and decades of struggle doing other things no longer mattered to anyone. Just so you know, I started out as a 10th grade high school dropout who left a difficult family situation at age 14. I should mention that it didn't hurt me that I spent a few years in the military during the Vietnam War learning discipline. Uh, No bone spurs here. (laughs) In any case, by now I was in demand as a contract software engineer, a kind of fireman people would call when they had a critical project that was in trouble. It wasn't long before Walmart needed my services, which put me in the large data arena working with beta hardware from Teradata Corporation. Teradata, as the name implies, Built devices that handled terabytes of data, an incredible volume unheard of at the time for a PC. That experience landed me not too much later on the American Airlines Decision Technology team, with 1,500 of the best developers in the world building Sabre, the largest database in the world at the time. Sabre was central to our airline travel, hotel and car rental reservations, and the hospitality industry generally. Then on to NASA where I designed and wrote turnkey the software components of the air to ground voice system for the space shuttles and later the International Space Station, a system that is still in use today. That was my introduction to fail safety, an engineering discipline where failure is incorporated into design to maximize outcomes in every worst case scenario. That knowledge was highly desirable to oil field, healthcare, and the aviation industry. So I worked multiple assignments for Continental Airlines, ExxonMobil, and Schlumberger, as well as contracts to Chevron Texaco, GE Healthcare, and Seltzer Intermedics, which was a heart pacemaker company, along with many others. I served a total of 77 successful contracts over 37 states and four countries, ending my contracting career in June 2016 when I became a whistleblower for the U.S. government. I had stumbled across backdoors in Union Bank's source code while on assignment to the bank. Backdoors which allowed yakuza money launderers in Japan access to the Swift international banking transfer account systems, in which I reported to the federal government. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Twelve years ago, prior to all of that, I had been asked by one of my forum clients if I could help them address serious issues they were having with internal employee theft and inappropriate behaviors between employees. The request was based on my prior relationship with them and the fact I had actually worked in and observed more office work environments than perhaps anyone else on earth, which also informed my knowledge of IT security practices across the country. This was a huge multinational corporation, and due to the sensitive nature of observing and reacting to employee behaviors electronically, needed someone familiar with their organization to devise a system while working off-site so they would have plausible deniability in the event the work was discovered. This led to my founding of Optics, and ultimately four issued patents in and around the scanning and evaluation of computer display screen text to track employee mood and intent variations over time from emotional weightings and words they typed into and read from the computer screen. That project had as a critical component a defensive capability, which in reaction to detecting that someone might be going postal, could temporarily suspend access to certain critical digital assets for that employee until management could be notified and gain control of the situation. It is that preemptive capability along with some identification technology that I had developed that became a seed for the Amulets and Gnomes technologies we now offer as Sir2 Digital. Because of my unique history, personal traits, and the confluence of all these events in my life, I doubt that anyone else on the planet would have been in the right position at the right time with the right knowledge, not only to see all these cybersecurity and identity problems for what they truly are, but also to understand at a core level exactly what was necessary to solve these problems. My editor handed me a book recently had published concerning the technologies I understand 32 digital is based upon It has the look and feel of an encyclopedia. Can you tell us a little about it? The book was written at the suggestion of Scott Orman, my friend, as Hershey Digital's longtime chief operating officer at the time. It's fairly evenly divided into two halves. The first half describes in some detail why and how the current cybersecurity and identity authentication problem domains evolved the way they did. The book closely follows my own time in the industry because, well, I was there at the time. I learned very early in my career something the rest of the world is just now slowly starting to glimmer. That nothing happens in the digital sphere without a reason, and that reason always links back to someone in Silicon Valley making money they didn't earn, always. People do not understand that the electronic universe is not in the least bit natural, that every single aspect of it had to be created by a man or a woman for the specific purpose The building excuses that we are accustomed to making in the natural world for randomness and uncontrolled events from thousands of chaotic sources just don't apply. In fact, to create digital randomness actually takes a whole lot of work. It's never truly random, and anything from the analog world needs to have a lot of work done just to have it gain admittance to the digital world. For example, a bug cannot occur unless someone makes the cost-based decision not to check a function return or the memory consumed, or build a unit test, or run the regression test. Not doing something is just as impactful and a matter of choice as is doing something in the digital realm. Add to that the fact that in its formative years, the computer industry was under the ironclad control of absolute imperious titans like IBM digital and Sperry rand slash Univax, with massive resources coming from the military-industrial complex. Those attitudes of domination and total control have never really gone away, even in the face of open source and other seemingly innocent later offerings. The presumably legitimate industry's incestuous, mutually beneficial relationship with hackers, and the fact that they are more costly to consumers than are the hackers themselves, is well known to industry professionals, but never discussed out in the open. I wanted that to change, to have these things debated in the public arena, which is why I devoted so much of the book to the origins of the problem. The second half of the book is dedicated to describing as accurately as I could, within the bounds of intellectual property protection limitations, our amulet, gnomes, code cocoon, and quantum technologies, as well as related innovations. The goal here is to provide sufficient information to the audience, and especially technical professionals, that they could logically and reasonably ascertain the strength of the foundations of what we are doing. Fundamentally, everything we do is actually quite simple and sound. But the complexities of dealing with a world in which overwhelming numbers of outright frauds have been in the mainstream for decades and where the general public may not have the knowledge necessary to determine reality, says to me that we should lay as many of our cards on the table as we possibly can, even though that may not make for scintillating prose.